0: Amen. man, It's good to see everybody this morning. Are you blessed today? Yes? All right. Well, turn around and just give somebody a, a handshake or a hug or something, and then you can go ahead and be seated. Praise the Lord. It's good to see everybody today. Welcome to the first service. If you're new to our church, God bless you. It is so good to have you with us today. My name is Greg Johnson. I serve here as lead pastor, and we are so blessed to have you with us today. Those who are joining us by way of Mission Church Online, God bless you. It's good to have you with us today as well. Amen. All right, take your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, we're continuing in our series from, uh, from Acts. We are in chapter 15 today, Acts chapter 15. Amen. Did you bring your Bibles? Why'd you bring a Bible? That's right. you got to check out the preacher. Make sure he's giving you the Word. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them... How many understand what that means? No small dissension and dispute. Some of you had no small dissension and dispute this week at home, right? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Verse 4, And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them, these Gentiles that came to Christ, and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, everybody say much dispute, after they argued for a while, Peter rose up. Now let's stop right there. Today I want to talk to us today from the topic of course corrections. Course corrections, making course corrections. It's about not allowing the people around you, uh, the influence around you, forces within you to pull you off course. It's about being intentional in your walk with Christ. It's about being deliberate about spiritual growth. It's about keeping yourself on the straight and narrow. It's like driving to church this morning. No one just got into their car and just kind of coasted to church and took their hand off the steering wheel. You couldn't do that. If you did that, then the car would veer off course. It would get pulled off the road and, and probably crash, right? I mean, there's a natural crown in the road. There's an imbalance of air in your tires. There's an alignment in your, your steering, in your car. And if you are not constantly course-correcting, the car will veer off the road and will crash, right? It's, and so course-correcting is all about staying centered. It's all about staying focused and not allowing yourself to be distracted or to be diverted from the goal, which is Jesus Christ. And so we come to a point here in the history of the church where a course correction is needed. Where there are certain groups of people that are developing their own belief systems within the church, within Christianity, and, and specifically there's this group of people called the Judaizers. And these were Jews who were converted to Christianity, but brought with them some of their beliefs from Judaism. Understand that the church began in Jerusalem, and the church was mostly populated by Jewish people who had these Jewish roots and these Jewish beliefs, right? Specifically, these Pharisees who were leaders of Judaism. And they could not deny that Jesus was the Messiah. So many of these Pharisees came to Christ. They accepted Christ as Savior and Lord um, of, of their lives. But with these Pharisees and with many of these Jews came their legalism. The belief that to be accepted by God, Jesus wasn't enough. That you had to also keep certain points of Mosaic law especially the ordinance of circumcision. And this was no small issue. This was a major controversy in the history of the church. In fact, it threatened to pull the church off course into heresy and to divide the church between the ethnic lines of the Jews and the Gentiles. This was huge, a big issue in the book of Acts. And I want to suggest to us today, I want to correlate this to our own lives today, that in life there are constant forces trying to pull us off course. And that if we do not course correct, can you say course correct? If we don't course correct on a regular basis and check ourselves, and check our beliefs, and check where we may be being influenced or where we may be being pulled in a certain direction, that we could also veer off course into emotional, moral, and even spiritual destruction. So there are a couple of things that I want to pull out of this text to help us to understand how the early church course-corrected And how we can course correct as well. The first thing that we notice about the early church in this issue is that they had leaders. They followed leaders who preached the word and recognized those who didn't. So number one... In your life, if you're going to course correct on a regular basis, you need to make sure that you're following spiritual leaders who preach the Word, who are centered on the Word. Amen? Amen. You understand what I'm talking about, right? So these Judaizers, they said, Jesus is not enough. They said, Jesus is great and all. It's great that He died on the cross and rose from the dead. But you need more than Jesus. They said, you need circumcision. You need to keep the law. You need to do these other things from the Old Testament, to keep you saved. And the reality is this, quite frankly, it was a lie. It was heresy. Somebody say, Jesus is enough. Jesus Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through him, right? There is only one name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. Not the name of Moses, right? The name of Jesus, right? Amen. So this was heresy to say that Jesus wasn't enough and that you needed to keep the law, right? And thank God, Paul and Barnabas and Peter were spiritual leaders that immediately confronted this this distraction, this heresy, and called it out. In fact, in verse 2, as I mentioned, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them. Paul and Barnabas stood up, made their voices very clear, and said, You are wrong. This is a lie. This is heresy. This is not true. No small dissension and dispute with them. Now listen, we are living in a day today when we need strong spiritual leaders. We need pastors. We need preachers. We need teachers of the Word who are clear and Unambiguous when it comes to speaking the truths about the Word of God. Clear, unambiguous about heaven and hell and about morality and truth. Too often we hear leaders being, being interviewed today and, and we, we, instead of being bold about the Word of God, they cower away from issues and they try to avoid some of the difficult topics. Questions like, do you really believe that Jesus is the only way to God? And you'll hear a leader say, well, you know, it's really not up to me to judge. I mean, that's between the person and God. Or they say, do you believe that homosexuality is a sin? And they'll say, well, you know, that's kind of a personal conversation that I have with someone privately. I don't really want to state, you know, my beliefs on that publicly. Or they'll say, "Do you really believe in a place called hell?" And they'll say, "Well, you know, there's a lot we don't fully understand about about death and what what happens after death." Understand something. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. We're going to put the verse up here. It talks about leaders that God has given to the church, leaders that God Puts into our lives for the purpose of equipping us and edifying us so that we will not be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine and the cunning trickery of men wherein they lie in wait to deceive. Amen. Right? Now, listen, I don't know where life is going to take you, what churches you may attend in the future, or you know, you may not be in the mission church. Forever, and God may move you around and you may move out of whatever, or and i don 't know what kind of preaching and preachers that that you uh, listen to currently. I know that all over the internet there 's all kinds of preaching, and YouTube websites, churches that are out there doing the virtual thing but here 's the point I want to make: you want to make sure that the preachers and the pastors that you are listening to, that you are feeding from are strong in the Word and are hearing from God. You need to be sure they're strong in the Word and hearing from God, because this world is full of people, your friends, your family members, the co-workers, pastors, preachers, who have opinions. Everybody say opinions. Okay? Everybody's got an opinion, and everyone loves to share their, their opinion, right? But We need to be careful that we're not allowing the opinions of people to pull us off course. Right? We need, you and I, we all need someone in our life who is speaking into our life, who is hearing from God, and who is teaching and speaking the Word of God. We don't need the opinions of men. We need the truth of God in our lives. Right? Everybody say, course correct. A.W. Tozer. I love A.W. Tozer. If you are looking for someone to read, get some A.W. Tozer. Anything. Any book he's written. Just get it and read it. He wrote this. He said, Before you follow any man, look for the oil on his forehead. What's the oil talking about? The oil is a sign of the Holy Spirit. Look for the mark of the Spirit of God in his or her life. And I would add, not only look for the oil on their forehead but look also for a bible in their hand because there are a lot of preachers and teachers and pastors out there that are doing ministry purely on their own charisma purely on their own gifting and there's a lot of charismatic gifted preachers really articulate communicators that are out there but i'm not interested in your charisma i'm not interested in your articulation and your enunciation i'm interested in how god is speaking to you and that you are bringing the word of god amen amen You know what the most important part of every sermon is? It's simply this statement. When the preacher says, open your Bible to. That's the most important statement in every sermon. Amen? Amen. Open your Bible to. Did you bring your Bible? Right? Amen? And sadly today we are hearing that phrase less and less. We're hearing stories, we're hearing anecdotes, we're hearing analogies, but we're not hearing preachers that will start out by saying, open your Bible too. Amen. Most important part of every, I love this quote from Leonard Ravenhill. Leonard Ravenhill is another one that you can, you can read. You got to be careful though when you read him because he will beat you up and, uh so he said this, he said, people say, find a church where you're comfortable. Wrong. That will kill you. He says, find a church where you're uncomfortable, where they preach about hell, where they stir your conscience, where you'll have to repair yourself. Don't be lulled to sleep by fancy music. Hello? Come on, this is how many churches are building their brand right now. It's all about the music. It's all about the lights. It's all about the show, right? It's all about the sights and sounds of worship and how you feel, right? And it's no longer about a church's capacity to disciple you or to make you into a disciple of Christ. It's all about leaving with a good feeling so that you want to come back again. Right? And we need to be careful that we're not veering off course. We need to have pastors and preachers in our lives that are preaching and speaking the Word of God. Listen to this. If your pastor never confronts your idols or challenges your sin, if he only affirms you as you are, he's not being a pastor. Pastoral leadership shouldn't just celebrate who you are. It should call us into the likeness of Christ and force us to confront our rebellious ways. Hello? And that's, you're not, you're not going to hear a lot of that today because it makes people uncomfortable. And what we're having today are a lot of churches and a lot of preaching that is doing what? It's pulling people off course. Pulling people off course. The next lesson that we see from Acts 15 is this. Not only do we need to have spiritual leaders who speak and preach the Word of God, we need ourselves to have a firm grip on truth. We need, you and I, you personally, need to have a firm grip on truth, and you need to feed on the truth daily. As much as you need pastoral leadership and teachers to preach and to speak into our lives, You must have a firm grip on the truth for yourself. These Judaizers, they could not pull the church off course because this was a community of faith that had a firm grip on truth. Look at verse 7. When there had been much dispute, Peter rose up. And in verse 10, he said this, Why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. In other words, you're trying to get the Gentiles to keep the law, and you couldn't keep the law yourselves. That's what he's saying. But we believe, verse 11, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Amen. This was a community of faith that could not be pulled off course because they were grounded in truth. And you and I need to have a foundation of truth in our lives, right? Peter had such a grip on truth that as soon as he heard this, he knew there was something wrong about it. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been listening to something or sitting somewhere And you you hear something being said, and it just doesn't sound right to you. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, it it just seems off. It's like you just know in your knower deep down. I don't know what that is, but the knower deep down inside. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You just have that sense of truth that's in your soul because you've been feeding on the truth and studying the truth. When error comes, it doesn't fit. And Peter had such a handle on the truth that he knew immediately, no, it's not the law, it's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, he said, for by grace you are saved through faith, not of works, not of yourselves, lest anyone should boast. Right? These these believers in in the early church, they had a handle on truth. In fact, Paul, the apostle Paul, had such a firm grip on truth That he wrote the book of Galatians and the book of Galatians was written largely in response to this issue right here that we're reading about in Acts 15 where the Judaizers were trying to take the church off course. And here's what he said here in Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. He said, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel which is not another. There's not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Paul, Barnabas, Peter, the early church, they were able to course correct because they had a firm grip on truth. And we are living in a time, listen to me, Mission Church, we are living in a time When the only people who will survive spiritually are those who have a firm grip on truth. Because people are being pulled off course all around us. And you know it. And you're seeing it. And for some of us, it's even been tempting you in your thinking because you've been seeing others veer off course. And you've been thinking, well, if that's what they believe, maybe I should believe it too. And you can't allow someone, no matter how much you love them, no matter how much you care about them, or even respect them, you can't allow them to pull you off course. Listen, these Pharisees in Acts 15, they were highly respected in the Jewish community, especially now that they had come to Christ. Right? And so now you'd come to a home fellowship and you'd be there with all your friends and in would walk a Pharisee and you'd, oh, you'd just respect them so much and look up to them and now they had come to Christ and wow, this is so awesome. And then to hear now this Pharisee saying, no, you, know, it's, you need more than Jesus, you need to keep the law. It was really affecting a lot of people. And we are living in a day when people are being influenced and they are being drawn off course because they're listening to voices around them that are not based on truth. It's true. You're going to hear it. You're going to hear people that you know and love say, well, the Bible's full of contradictions. Saying to you, well, I don't, I don't, believe, in, I don't believe in all that Holy Spirit stuff. You're going to hear people around you saying, oh, come on, there's no, you really believe that a loving God would send people to hell? We're, we're seeing this, this happening right now. You're encountering people right now in your life, Right? We're seeing, we're seeing dividing lines being drawn in the church over issues of sexuality and gender. Homosexuality, transgenderism, making its way into the church where friends that you have, family members that you have, are going to say things like, oh, the Bible isn't against homosexuality. What's wrong with homosexuality? Homosexuality is not a sin. I mean, if you love somebody, what do you care, Right? And we're seeing this happening today. And people who do not have truth, do not have a foundation of truth in their hearts are going to be pulled off course into these lies. These lies. Let me give you some some statistics real quick. This is from a report. It's called The State of Theology Today from Lifeway research. You can look it up on the internet. Just a couple of statistics. F- only 51% of pastors in America today believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Only 30%, uh, th- 30% of evangelicals believe, evangelicals, people like you and me, 30% believe that Jesus was a great teacher but not God. 56 believe, 56% believe that the Holy Spirit is a force, not a person. 28% of regular evangelical church attendees are not born again. Less than 10% of sermons today mention sin, salvation, heaven, or hell. 69% of churchgoers believe everyone will go to heaven. 54% of churches, 54% of churches allow openly gay and lesbian couples to be baptized and hold membership. Only 52% of churchgoers plan to return to church after COVID is over. Only, only, Almost half of regular churchgoers don't even plan to come back to church. If you're listening to me on Mission Church Online, we're glad to have you, but you need to get back to church. You need to be in the house. We miss you. We love you. We want you here. 70%, listen to this, 70% of young people who grew up in church leave their faith in their 20s. And only half, and watch this, only half of all teenagers who were raised in Christian homes had regular conversations about God with their parents. Right? Being pulled off course. It's happening all around us. All around us. And young people listen. Young people, you're going to go into your colleges, your universities, and you're going to be surrounded by people who are off course. And they're going to try to pull you off course as well. And hear this word prophetically. You've got to know what you believe. And you've got to stay rooted in the faith. Amen? Amen. Charles Spurgeon said this, Discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong, It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. And that's the real danger with error, you know? The the danger with error is that it usually comes wrapped in just enough truth to make it seem credible. That's the problem with error, right? Just enough truth that's mingled in there. Well, God is love. Jesus died on the cross. God loves everybody. Right? That's all true. Amen? Amen? That's all true. And then they add this other. Well, God would never judge anyone or send anyone to hell. So you got all this truth, and then you have this lie that's wrapped, you know, like the Tootsie Roll Center. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Only the boomers know what I'm talking about. I don't right? So you got all this truth, and then it's all wrapped around a lie, okay? And real discernment is being able to tell the difference between right and almost, almost right. Amen. Okay? All right, let me move on here. I'm running out of time. Another thing that we see here in this early church to help them stay on course and course correct is that they guarded against offense and division. After Peter gives his rebuttal, Paul and Barnabas state their position, the room falls silent, okay? All the Judaizers are there. The room falls silent. And now James who is the leader of the church in Jerusalem, James, who was the younger brother of Jesus, okay. James, who wrote the book of James, he stands up and he says this, verse 13, After they became silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Go to verse 19. I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. In other words, we are not going to tell them that they have to keep the law to be saved. Verse 20. But we will write to them, we will tell them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. Now, what's this all about? Why did they put these conditions down? To fully appreciate this point, this point let me give you a little context in the history of the church that's going on right there. In the New Testament, The church was centered around small groups and and home fellowships, and much of these home fellowships, these small groups, were centered around eating, and that's kind of what we do today, right? Right? I mean, you're, you're not really born again unless you love to eat, isn't that, you know? So it's centered around eating and 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 they would these community feasts or they would love feasts is what they actually called them, right? And so they would gather for worship, they would gather for communion and the word, and then they would have table fellowship. Everybody say table fellowship. That's what was that's what was known as table fellowship, okay? It means they would eat, okay? And around this table of fellowship would gather young and old, rich and poor, Greek and Roman, Jew, Gentile, right? They would all be there. And understand now, for the Jew, this was a very new experience because before they came to Christ, the Jews would not fellowship with the Gentiles. They believed that the Gentiles would make them unclean. They wouldn't even go into the house of a Gentile, and they wouldn't allow a Gentile into their, into their own house, right? Now, here they are as believers, the Jews and the Gentiles, together in you know, a Gentile's home, having these home fellowships and eating together. Okay, Very unusual for the Jew, and maybe even a little challenging. To make it even worse, the Gentiles would bring to the table this food, this meat that the Jews considered to be unclean. So here's something else you have to understand. In the Greek and Roman culture, where most of the Gentile Christians were from, this culture was steeped in paganism and idolatry. And in these pagan towns, they would have pagan temples and pagan sacrifices. And during these sacrifices, they would offer meat. They would offer animals to their, to their gods. Okay? Now, of course, the, the gods can't eat the meat. How many understand that? Okay? They're offering meat to the idols, but the idols don't chew. Right? So after their festival and after their services, they would have all this meat left over and so what would happen is the priests, the pagan priests, would take this meat to the marketplace and they would sell it. And because paganism was, was just, it was ubiquitous, it was everywhere, I mean, the markets would be saturated with meat that was previously used in pagan worship, Right? And so the Christians would do their shopping for the meat in these marketplaces. They would buy this meat that was used in pagan rituals, and they would bring it to these love feasts at the church and share it with everyone, including the Jews. Okay. Well, the Jews weren't having that. The Jews were offended by that. They had spent their entire life avoiding anything pagan eating only kosher foods and there was no way that they were going to eat steak and pork chops and and chicken nuggets that had been dedicated to idols okay there's just no way okay so the jews were offended because the gentiles were disrespecting their dietary standards and the gentiles were getting offended because the jews were saying You carnal people aren't even saved. How can you eat that meat that was just dedicated to Zeus? Right? And so a huge division was occurring in the church. And you can imagine the gossip that was going on behind the scenes and the judgment against one another that's going on, and the arguments between the two groups after church, you know, in the parking lot, if you could imagine such a thing. And the church was divided. And this was a real crisis. This was a crisis, okay? The crisis was not so much about the circumcision issue that was raised earlier. That was really an outgrowth. It was an outcome of the real crisis that was occurring in the church, this division, this rift that was occurring in the early church and it was significant and it was serious. And this, now get this, this was the reason for the decree that was made. It's called the Jerusalem decree. The decree was made and, and actually a letter was written and you can see it in verse 23. A letter was written that was sent to all of the Gentile churches. And the decision To abstain from meat offered to idols that was strangled, that was bloody, was a way to resolve the conflict and to bring the two groups together to a point of concession and unity and to heal the division. Understand something. This weapon that the enemy used in the early church he's still using today to bring division in the church The devil wants to divide believers over petty issues. He wants us to see our brothers, our sisters as enemies to get us to attack one another and to forget that he is really the enemy. The enemy is working overtime to do that today. And the issue today may not be food dedicated to idols, but there's always an issue that the enemy will leverage to to, to get believers to become petty and divided, right? It's not peg and chicken nuggets today. Today, it's whether you're Democrat or Republican, right? Today, it's whether you're Biden or Trump, whether you're vaccine or no vaccine. Hello? Hello? Right? Churches are being divided over this petty nonsense. Right? Or I didn't get to sing when I thought I should have been allowed to sing. Or I didn't get invited, I thought I should have been invited to that. Or I didn't get placed in that position that I thought I was was entitled to. The enemy is looking for ways to offend you and to divide us against one another. He'll even try to divide us over issues like race and color. He wants people of color to see white people as oppressors who have privilege. That's what he's trying to get people of color to see. He's trying to get you, if you're a person of color, to see your white brother, your white sister as an oppressor, as an enemy who has privilege over you. And the enemy's also trying to get white people to resent people of color because they watch some video on Facebook about critical race theory. Right? Or they're listening to something on CNN. And so the enemy is trying to build a resentment in the church between groups of people, even along ethnic lines of race and color. He's trying to divide us over things like CNN and Fox News. Like either of these are actually telling us the truth. Hello? Hello? Amen? He'll use social media posts, Facebook, some meme on Instagram that you liked, and now somebody unfollows you because you liked a meme that offended them, and now you're avoiding each other in church because, well, they, I don't know. I know what their problem is. I used to, they used to follow me. They don't follow me anymore. They used to like everything, but they don't like me. And so we don't even talk to each other in church because of this stupid thing on social media. I know I'm saying stupid a lot. I listened to Pastor Keith's sermon last week, so. <laughs> I think we may need another Jerusalem council today. We need a course correction, right? We need to write a letter to all the believers that says, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but we will tell them to abstain from things polluted by Fox News, from things strangled by CNN, from social media immorality, and from politics. I think we need another Jerusalem council, right? Don't allow yourself to be divided over these issues. It's the enemy at work in our midst. All right, one last thing. And let me ask the worship team to join me up here. One last thing. We need to beware of the idols of this world. In verse 23, you can see the actual text of the letter that the Jerusalem council, the decree that they they wrote and sent out. It says in verse 28 For it seemed good. to the Holy Spirit and to us, to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Everything that the Judaizers complained about, everything that the Jerusalem decree declared was restored. church through idolatry through idolatry we're living in a culture today that's full of idols amen it's full of idols John Calvin wrote this the heart the human heart is a factory of idols every one of us from our mother's womb is an expert in inventing idols let's stand together what's an idol an idol is anything anyone Any pursuit in our life that is more important, more of a priority to us than is our relationship with God, our walk with God. And they're all around us, the idols of this world. Our hearts are always enticed by them. Our time will be preoccupied by them. So this morning we're going to close just taking a moment to worship the Lord and to course correct to course correct, to say, Lord, help me to recognize where there are people in my life that are pulling me off course. Help me to recognize where I've diverted from the Word. Help me to recognize where I'm being divided from my brothers. Help me to recognize, Lord, where I've put other things as a priority over you. Let's pray. Father, help us today. Father, help us today to recognize, Lord God, the issues that surfaced in Acts chapter 15 are still with us today. The Lord, there are those even among us, God, in the church that would try to turn error into truth. And I pray, God, that you'll give us discerning hearts. Amen? Come on, if that's your, if that's your prayer, just lift a hand and say, yes, God, give me discerning heart. Give me a discerning heart, God. Lord, help me to recognize, Lord God, truth from error. And Lord, help me to recognize where the enemy is trying to divide me against my brothers. Come on, if that's your prayer, lift up that other hand to the Lord and just say, yes, God, help me. Help me, Lord, to recognize, God, where division, Lord, where where the enemy is trying to make me divided against my brothers. And Lord, help us to see the idols in our lives. Come on, just say that to the Lord. Lord, help me to see the idols, God. Show me any idols in my life. Show me the idols in my life, Lord. Lord. I want to renounce them. i want to repent of them in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. For those who need to go, Lord, I want to pray their blessing on those that need to be dismissed to get their kids. We release them in Jesus' name. For those who want to remain to worship, seek your face. We pray, God, that your presence be strong in this place today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need to go, you can go. God bless you. But I encourage you, let's take a moment and let's just worship the Lord in song as we close.